0: We live in an instantaneous world. When I uh, first uh, started practicing law, you were fortunate if you had a secretary who could type 120 words a minute accurately. She had to use carbon paper, which I know some of you have no clue what that is. And it was just the way it was. And then a few years later, we had computers. And we had laser printers. And I had a laser printer that printed uh, 35 words a minute. And it wasn't fast enough. It was like, come on, come on, come come on. We have microwaves to microwave our dinners. And we still don't want to take the couple of minutes it takes to uh, do that. We even have a tendency to say... Lord, give me patience and give it to me right now. We are just one of those types of people who just say, I want what I want and I want it right now. When I came upon this passage, my initial reaction was maybe I ought to skip it because it, it, it may confuse certain things. But um, as I contemplated it, I think I discovered what it was that Jesus was trying to do. So I'm going to, in my best way that I can, to kind of communicate what I think Jesus is doing here. So in Mark chapter 8, verse 22, it says this, And they came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to Jesus And implored him to touch him. Now again, I always kind of hear harping on a particular topic again. They do take the man to see Jesus because they know that Jesus can heal this man. But it's, again, it's that Jesus might touch him. Jesus has healed people from great distances He doesn't have to touch. It would seem to me that what they would do is they say, they came to Jesus with this blind man and implored him to heal him. Let Jesus do it any way he wants. But that's kind of the way we are. We're trying to still, even when we give things to God, we still do it in such a way as that we're in control. Jesus, do it this way. So the next time you pray, I hope this will remind you to say, Jesus, this is what I'd like you to do, but however you do it, do it the way you want. And taking the bland man by the hand, he brought him out of the village. There are a couple of reasons, I think, that Jesus took the man out of the village. One is, and I think that part is obvious, that the crowd... Seeing Jesus healing and do these things, more and more committed to Jesus being king and wanting to take him. And he's at this point trying to minimize that. But I think there's a second implicit reason Jesus does this because Jesus is going to teach his disciples something by his actions that he doesn't want the crowd to mess up because the crowd tends to hustle and bustle and you get all wrapped up in what the crowd's doing. So he takes the man out of that situation. And after spitting on his eyes, why Jesus does that? I don't know. Jesus heals in a variety of ways. Sometimes he speaks. Sometimes he makes mud. Sometimes he just puts his hands. Sometimes he spits on you. but I suspect the man did in mind. And after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around. Now this is where if you don't think you could be uncomfortable, because is this too hard for Jesus? I mean, he's been healing people. Why is it that he's taking more than one step to heal this man? Why is there, I can kind of see, I see men, but they're like trees. Then again, he laid his hand on his eyes and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. You see, what I think Jesus is teaching is not that he needed two stages to heal the man's blindness, but that oftentimes faith requires a number of steps. Faith does not necessarily come instantaneously or does it come completely all in one package, which is obvious, I think, with the disciples. And that's why I think he took, and he's teaching by what he does by actions. He's saying, as we come to faith, you will see partially, and then you'll see more clearly, and you'll see more clearly as your faith begins to grow. He talks about them when they fail to understand about the bread, oh, you of little faith. When they don't quite understand, he never says, oh, you of no faith, it's always you of little faith. You're not seeing clearly. And I think Jesus is teaching us that sometimes we should not expect our faith to instantaneously just be there. That it is something that grows and causes us to see more and more and more clearly. Initially, the man sees people walking around as if they were trees. When we're blind, we see no movement at all. And I'm talking spiritually. When we are spiritually blind, we have no idea what God's doing. And then faith comes, not fully understanding. And sometimes we're not quite sure, is it God moving? Or is it something else moving? It's, it's like men walking with trees. It's like, is it just circumstance? It's just as happenstance? Is it chaos? Or is it predetermined? I'm going to end this and then we're going to talk about faith. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. He's telling them, I want you to take an indirect route home because I don't want the people to see that you were once blind and now you see. Because again, I don't want the crowds to come. But if Jesus is teaching his disciples that faith Causes us to see things more and more clearly. We are told in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. Now, when non-believers hear that, or even when Christians who don't quite understand faith, see that they say, Oh, you walk around blindly. For you're walking around by faith, which they think is just mythology and whatever. But it says, no, no, we are to walk by faith, not by sight. Well, one of the things by sight in today's world, you think that it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And it probably by sight is going to get worse and worse and worse. But faith tells us Jesus is coming, there's hope. So we live in this world, not with the dull, miserable expectation that mankind is just doomed. We look for the hope and anticipation that Jesus is coming again and will set all things right. We're coming to a time in a week and a half or so that we're going to celebrate the birth of Christ that happened some 2,000 years ago. But that wasn't an instantaneous promise. God had promised Adam and Eve there would be a Savior. And throughout the Old Testament, there were prophecies of that the Messiah would come and how he would be and what he would do. And it took centuries and millennia for the Messiah to come. But they came and looking for him because even in the Old Testament, they walked by faith and not by sight. So how are you walking? Are you walking only in the steps that you can see or in the steps that God has promised? A little before that verse that says we walk by faith and not by sight in 2 Corinthians chapter 14. In chapter 4, with verse 17, it says this, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not even seen are eternal. So are you concentrating on what is by sight, or are you seeing the eternal perspective? Are you allowing the circumstances of this life, when they're difficult, to determine your feeling and your determination and your testimony? Are you saying, I understand that it's hard now, but it's not worthy to be compared to what God is doing. Far too often we walk around as if we're seeing trees and not God. So I want to, again, for we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. That's how we walk by faith. We don't walk by assumption. We walk by faith. The sad thing is, in many churches, you wouldn't know the difference between assumption and faith. I'll give you an example. A pastor will say, God has laid on my heart a new building program. And we're going to build... A building worth two million dollars, and God's laid it on my heart. You weren't a part of that conversation. You don't know. If you like the pastor, you think it's a good idea. You don't like the pastor, think it's a terrible idea. And then they start raising money. And if they accomplish the goal wonderful, and nobody ever questions it, they don't raise the goal, they cut back on the building. Well, did God lie? Or was it the pastor's assumption that he wanted something and he thought if he did something for God, God would just go along with it? But God has said, if you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead and you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, you shall be saved. That is a promise of God. That is a statement of God. And even though my life may not always comport to what I say I believe, God is never a liar. And so when he says, if you believe and you confess you're saved, then I walk by faith. I don't walk by it. Well, you know, I'm doing pretty good today and I'm not doing so good tomorrow and I do pretty good the next day. I'm not looking at me. I'm looking at the things that are unseen. His promise of what he said my destination is. He says that there will be a time when there will be a shofar that sounds a trumpet. And he says, The dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who remain will be caught up together. So which tells me those who have passed away in Christ have at least a six foot advantage over us. Because they're going to raise raise up and then we are. That is a promise of God. So those of our loved ones who were in Christ, who left this world before us, and the scripture says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, a promise, a statement. So we walk by faith that our loved ones aren't just somewhere in the ground or burned up or in the sea, that their spirit is in the presence of God, and that there will come a time when that their presence with God and their body will be reunited in a better, eternal, perfect body. We walk by faith because that is what God has said. We don't make it up. So he says, we are to love one another as he has loved us. And gave himself for us. Yeah, but those people there at the church don't like me. That's okay. He didn't give an exception. He didn't say, love your brothers and sisters if they love you back. He said, love them the way I have loved you. No exception. Not even a Philadelphia lawyer can find an exception in that clause. We're to love because he told us to love. We walk by faith. We walk by unsigned because who knows? Maybe God will change that person's attitude. Or maybe God will change yours. We walk the way he tells us to walk, not because we see that it's better, but we believe what he says will come true. How are you walking? Are you still blind? You don't understand this faith thing? Jesus can touch your eyes. What if you're walking... And you're not sure, is that a God thing or is that a happenstance? Yeah, I prayed for it and it happened. Was that a God thing? You see, not clearly. You're not sure whether it's God or sometimes what we do is we blame God. Well, that's just the way it was supposed to be. How do you know? Are you looking at the things that are not, or are you looking at the things that are? None of us, I don't think, see totally clearly at this point. There will come a time when we will truly see him as he is, and we will be like Which means, he said it, I believe it. Now you've heard it and I've changed it. You've heard people say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. That's wrong. God said it, that settles it, I believe it. My belief does not determine what God is going to do or not do. God does what God does. I just want to be there to see what he does. I want to see him. Wouldn't it have been awesome to see him spit in this guy's eyes and you go, whoa, that's weird. What's Jesus doing? I mean, he hasn't done that before. And then touching the guy's eyes and he sees better and better. And you say, Jesus, can I have a word with you? Not a word with all the other disciples, a word with you. Okay, Jesus, I've seen you heal people before. And every time you healed them, you just spoke the word or you touched them and they were healed. Some I remember even the lady who just touched you and you've helped the healing come out of you, and you say, Who touched me? And we're going, Whoa. So, so what are you doing here, Jesus? Why, why is it that you took a couple of steps? Then I think Jesus would have turned and said, Because I want to teach you. Right now, you guys are seeing darkly. You're not seeing the full picture. But when I come from the grave, you're going to see a whole lot more clearly. Your faith will be greater. Your confidence will be bold. You see, Jesus' teaching is not confined to his words, but also what he does. In a moment, we're going to sing a song. Lord, open the eyes of my heart that I might see. And while we sing that, I hope that we also say, yes, Lord, I want that. I want to see you. And God, I want to see what you're doing in the world. I don't want it to be happenstance and circumstance. I want to see your action. So when, God, I pray, I want to see not trees, but you. I don't want to see blackness. I want to see clearly. I want to look at things that are not and see what will be. There was a a man that lived across the street when I was a young child. And uh, he was one of those gentlemen... And I didn't think about this when I was a little kid because whatever, but he's a type of individual you would have thought God would never touch him. He would just basically die in his sins. He was really a gruff guy. I mean, he, was, he did nice things, but he swore so terribly. Every other word was a really crude swear word. And even his wife says, why do you have to swear? And he goes, what? it was just so much a part of who he was that that was just what he he just expressed himself that way and so as a child you just thought this guy is kind of just out of it god would never touch him and we moved to westminster in orange county and he moved but we kept in touch and in his later years as an older even an older person he came to know the lord and the amazing thing was, and I've shared with some of you, that from the time he committed his life to Christ, he stopped swearing. It was like most of us we, well, you know, I still sin; it's okay, or whatever. And he just, boom, stopped. Which kind of taught me, I'm not the judge. There are people who you think will come to know the Lord and never do. Oh, they're nice people, and they live nice lives, and do nice things, but they just don't ever follow God. And then there are those who you just think their heart's got to be so hard that God can never crack it, and God does. You see, I was looking at the outside, not what God could do. And we need to live our lives with what God can do, for nothing is impossible with God. Now, I'm not saying living by assumption. I'm saying living by faith, by what God says, and then responding to what He says. So when God says, this is how we are saved, then we live in confidence of that. If God says, this is how we are to live, we are to love one another we are to love our enemies. We're to do all these different things. And you go, okay, God, it doesn't, you know, I don't see what it's in it for me. And he goes, exactly. It's not about what's in it for you. We live by faith. And We live understanding that it's not instantaneous. And we live by the fact that you and I are not at the same level at any one time. As your pastor, you expect me sometimes to be ahead. And generally speaking, hopefully I am because I can help lead. But there are times that I have a blind sight as well. You know, maybe partial sightedness. So They say, Lord, we need to pray for that guy. He's got a blind spot here. But living with the understanding that we don't at this point see clearly, but making it as our goal. When I first started preaching, I I used uh, an example of if when we first became a Christian, and our lives were it was at this end of the wall, and then when we became when Jesus came back and we were like Jesus, we'd be at that end of the wall. Some of us like to hang around at that side of the wall. Some of us get a little closer, then we run back. Then we get a little closer, then we run back. And some of us kind of hang out. Some of us, oh, I'm too tired to go that far. Jesus will change me when he gets here. Wouldn't it be great that we saw so clearly that even though we weren't all the way to the wall, we least got to the uh, small pews, so that when Jesus returns, and I'll pick me. That when Jesus returned, that I was that close to that wall. That when we're all in heaven, rejoicing and praising His name, you go. You know, Joe, you're not that much different than you were on earth. You look. As much like Jesus, oh, you're little, you look a little better than you did, but you were pretty close to looking like Jesus when He came. And wouldn't it be awesome if all of us here at our church looked a lot like Jesus when He comes, rather than a whole lot like we did started out when He first saved us? And the way we do that is not cleaning up our act, but taking the scales. Isn't it, wasn't it interesting when Paul was persecuting the church and Jesus came and said, Paul, and at that time of Saul, 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 why do you persecute me? And he goes, who are you? And Jesus has a conversation with him and he strikes him blind. And then they lead him to a saint who prays for him and the Scales fall off, and he sees. Say, God, if there are scales, take them from my eyes. If my eyes don't work, fix them. Open the eyes of my heart that I might see you. And all God's people said,